We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey guys, it's Ross Tucker from Home and Home. Thanks for listening to our podcast. This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Try ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. I'm Dave Briggs, home in Connecticut. Ross Tucker, home in Pennsylvania. And Russell Wilson is off to an MVP type of start with the Seattle Seahawks, making all the right throws and also making just about every perfect decision. He gives much of that credit. To his mental conditioning expert or mental conditioning coach, Trevor Moad. And Trevor joins us now. He's also the author of It Takes What It Takes. Trevor, good to see you, my friend. It's Dave Briggs and Ross Tucker. Please explain to us. I feel like uh, I'm I'm doing early start with you, huh? (laughs) This is bright bright, bright and early out here on the West Coast. But uh, no, it's a pleasure to join uh, both you and Ross. So thanks so much for having me on this morning. It is an early start for you out there on the left coast. We appreciate the early hour. What is a mental conditioning coach? You know what? It's, it's an interesting field. I I think it's probably been most connected in and around the the world of uh, sports psychology, but, but essentially it's, um, you know, the sports world obviously has this discipline called human performance and human performance. Really now we've kind of known with strength and conditioning uh, nutritional support, um, areas in and around things like yoga and stretching. And then psychologically, you have sort of uh, um, the sports psychology component, which has been typically used to address uh, you know, people who are having challenges, uh, maybe not performing at the highest level. But there, there are a handful of coaches, um, namely in college, led by Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher, uh, Kirby Smart, um, who who use sort of that mental conditioning and sports psychology component to make their really good players better. And then uh, in the NFL, there's a handful, of, we, we know of Tom Brady, Kirk Cousins, Russell Wilson, and a handful of programs that also use it uh, proactively, psychologically, um, not when there's a problem, but, but letting their greatness be the impetus for improvement. But it's a very small industry. Uh, that's probably why most people haven't heard much about mental coaching. All right, so then, Trevor, what do you do? Like, what, what, what do you do, whether it's with the coaches or with the quarterbacks? What, what do you do to help their performance? Well, you know, I, I began my experience, uh, Ross, at, um, at IMG Academy. So IMG Academy is about a 600-acre training facility in Bradenton, Florida, um, that uh, was, on a football side, was the birth of NFL Combine training. Uh, behind super agents Tom Condon and Ken Kramer. And in the late 90s, early 2000s, we would get 15, 20 guys every year training for the NFL draft. And sort of the origins of mental conditioning for football first started for us in helping get guys ready for the wonderlick and really the, the, all the psychological testing that would go on with the uh, NFL combine. Uh, in 2002, Tom Coughlin hired myself and my business partner, Chad Bowling, who's now the director of mental conditioning for the Yankees uh, and the, the mental conditioning consultant for the Cowboys. And really what he wanted us to do was to help really develop a plan in and around how we set goals, the language we communicate with, um, our sort of uh, approach towards success, how we sustain it, uh, understanding uh, when we are struggling, why that's happening, really building a plan in and around uh, this idea that we don't need to be sick to get better and that the right mentality is a competitive advantage. So for Russell and I, we would typically meet on a Thursday night. Um, we'll have usually like a seven or eight minute video that will be built around like an ESPN Sports Century or some story. We might study uh, Usain Bolt for coming off a loss. We might study a particular loss or a particular win that Joe Montana went through or another player. And then we're really just going to talk about when he's successful, where that's coming from and why. And then when we're dealing with different challenges, be it health or 
the teams were playing again or just maybe not playing at our highest level, um, where that those challenges came from, and the single things that we can do to focus just to get get back on track. So uh, it, it's not a, it, it's very strategic, I would say, Ross, I would say Dave. Um, and uh, you know the, the way we built it, particularly at Alabama, Florida State, Georgia, was we built the program for everybody. I, I'm not talking about mindfulness, meditation. We don't address positive thinking. That's been a really tough challenge for guys to buy in. We know negative thinking is a multiple of four to seven times more powerful than positive thinking. And when you say something out loud, it's 10 times more powerful than when you think it. So when an athlete is saying negative things out loud about their health or their team or their program, they're increasing the probability that that will happen to them by 40 to 70 times. So what we learned is that if you could just get athletes to stop saying stupid things out loud, you would, you would improve their probability of succeeding uh, by almost 70, 70 times. So you'll never catch Russell complaining about you know, something wrong with his linemen or his receivers, et cetera. Everything about Russell is this idea of neutral, which is solution-based thinking. All right, what can I do this final four minutes? Forget about the first 56 minutes, or I played great the first 56 minutes, but what do I got to do the final four minutes to close this thing out? So Russell Wilson, we're able to see his physical attributes out there on the football field each and every week and have for quite some time. What separates him from other quarterbacks mentally in terms of the work you've done with him? Well, I, I think, again, the, the great question is he doesn't need anybody like me, and yet he's made a commitment. We, we, we call it the aggregate of marginal gains. Now, the aggregate of marginal gains is how do I make micro improvements across everything I'm doing? If I can make an adaptation in the way I sleep, if I can make an adaptation in the way I train in the morning, you know, when I started with uh, Fred Taylor, the running back for, for, for those who, who follow, you know, the NFL, Fred, Fred had a nickname, which was not a good one, uh, Fragile Fred. And you do not want the name Fragile Fred as a running back. And both, ultimately, Fred would tell me, and, and Chad in 2002, he said, I just want to play 16 games. And you guys both know in the National Football League, it's hard to do that. Um, and, and the, the league is best about, you know, less about accountability and responsibility and it's more about dependability. And when, you know, when we talked to Fred, uh, he, uh, you know, we said, what do you think it's going to take to do that? He wasn't sure. Well, the first thing we did was take two or three days and there were 18 players on the Jaguars team that were into their third contract. And when they got into their third contract, um, Hey brother, what's up, man? I got a good friend of mine just walked in, Lawrence, Lawrence, Lawrence Frank. Um, and uh, and uh, hey, thanks so much, Coach. And uh, so, so when, we, uh, when we started with Fred at that point, um, we studied those 18 guys and we found that there were two things in common that they did. Number one, every player showed up before 6.30 in the morning and every player at the end of the day uh, got on uh, an ice bath. And so when we decided, all right, Fred, you really want to play 16 games in a row? then this is what we're going to do. We're going to get to the training facility before 6.30 in the morning, and we're going to take an ice bath at the end of every day. And that was the starting point. And ultimately, Fred would make that commitment and play 46 games in a row and end his career uh, with over 11,000 yards. Um, so it, it, it's doing simple better, and it's the little things in football that are going to make the difference, and it's the marginal gains. So for Russell, Russell's commitment to his body is, is like nothing you've ever seen. His commitment to his physiology is like nothing you've ever seen. Um, and then that feeds his confidence. It's not some fake words, uh, but it's the belief that I've done everything I can and the way he studies film on Monday, third downs on Tuesday, trick plays on Wednesday, just all the different types of things. He knows he's done everything and then he never externalizes negativity and he stays what we call incredibly neutral. So, um, and he doesn't, like I said, he's not waiting for problems to improve. So, uh, Question. You guys are like, you guys are like, Sherman? what is this thing, man? Like, what well, this is like the weirdest thing I've been hearing. But it sounds pretty basic, <laughs> doesn't it? No, it well, does to a me. Couple things. One is when I was playing, uh, they had sports psychologists or whatever they call them um, came in to a, a couple different teams I played for. Um, and I got to be honest with you, and maybe it's different than what you do, Trevor, but. I was skeptical and, and maybe maybe it didn't have a positive impact on me because I was skeptical, but um, I have found out after the fact 
how much they were paying these guys to come in. And it was like, I think we would like look at the guy next to us and say, I believe in you. And I, and I believe that you're going to make a play. And like, I, I, to be honest, yeah. and I don't tell me how different what you, what it sounds like you're doing is a lot different than that. Cause I thought that was full of crap, to be honest with you, what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. I think mental conditioning is an interesting way to describe it because to me, it just sounds like you're um, almost like a consultant with these guys and you go over different ways that they can get incrementally better, which makes sense. I don't know if I would call that mental yeah. conditioning. Maybe I'm missing something, but it sounds yeah. very different than my exposure to like sports psychologists. Well, you know, that's probably been the biggest challenge for the field. The consumer is really confused. And, and so you have so many variations of it. And it's a tough industry to get into because even if you went to Harvard uh, to study sports psychology, most likely the professor never got to work with any athletes because most teams don't work with athletes. So, you know, that professor would not have really any practical experience. If it wasn't for, you know, starting to work for, for the best agents in football in 2000, 2001, and having that opportunity and getting the experience and going with Tom Coughlin and getting with Fred Taylor – then ultimately going to the Dolphins in 2006 and then joining Coach Saban at Alabama in 2007. And I would always do 25, 30 days a year. It was really more education, Ross. So like, if you think about it, um, you know, I went to an Occidental College undergrad and graduate. I was a basketball and a soccer player. Um, and I was a, a teacher in L.A. Unified School District. And so as we would build out the psychological architecture for these programs, you needed to have um, something when somebody was having a problem, but we wanted to have something this, I'll, I'll never forget one of the things that really stood out to me from the, the early origins of, of meeting coach Saban. I want to have a program that makes sense for everybody. And what we found out is I believe in you. I care about you. Uh, I love you. Uh, you know, um, love is the reason for the fight. I mean, a lot of the things that that there's some power to it, it's just very difficult for most guys to get on board with that. But the simple fact of the matter is if you present the data, that negative thinking, particularly the articulation of it, increases the probability that what you don't want to happen will happen by 40 to 70 times. You guys remember Billy Buckner, the baseball player? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so, so Billy Buckner, and, and many people don't know, 12 days before the World Series in 86, does an interview where he says, you know, my worst fear would be to let the game-winning run score on a ground ball through my legs. And we, and we have that interview and we show our players exactly what happened. And by saying that out loud, it didn't make it happen, but it increased the probability by 40 to 70 times that it would happen. So by just not saying that out loud, by not saying, I hate playing in the heat, I can't stand, play, you know, whatever, God damn, why do we have to play in Detroit again? Or whatever, just by learning how to not say dumb things out loud, if you were never were positive, if you just were never positive, but you didn't externalize negative, it would change your life. And one of the things that I found out in 18 years working with some of the best athletes in the world is it's not what they do that makes the difference in their career. It's what they're willing not to do, what they're willing not to say, what they're willing not to eat, what they're willing not to watch. So if Ross is telling, you know, the, the way I would present the program and some of the people I work with that present the program if Ross was like, you know, this is this is crap, I don't believe in it, it would be like Ross saying the world is flat or I don't really believe in that gravity thing, you know? And, and like, we don't see gravity, I, but I studied gravity in 10th grade, but gravity affected me before I study it. So we just give a basic line. This, this, is how the, this is how the brain works. This is how it process. This is how when we say it out loud, we do a lot of video, we do a lot of education. And then the program is built around studying all right, Drake has 13 number one songs. Why? What is he willing to do? Does, uh, 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 Michael Johnson became number one in the world from 1989 to 2001. What did he do? Why did he wear gold shoes in 1996? So if we're entering the season with, with really high expectations, we're, we're studying Michael Johnson and, and understanding with the 200 and 400 meter why he did that. And then Michael's a good friend of mine. Then I'm going to get Michael to spend time with Russell to also talk with him about looking at pressure as a privilege and seeing pressure um, as, as an ally, not an enemy. 
And that's kind of what we're doing. We're just, it, it's strategy really more than, uh, than hokiness, at least for me. Talking with, uh, talking with Trevor Moad from Moad Consulting Group and the author of It Takes What It Takes. I think about this stuff all the time, quite frankly, because as a parent, I'm consumed by the mental side of it. My wife asked me the other day, how do you account for the, the best few games our son, our 11-year-old son has ever had? It's been one in football, one in basketball, one in baseball. And I said, that's the easiest thing for me to answer because mentally he was in the best place and I could see that. Now, I have no idea how to recreate that. A lot of us can't afford your services. How can we apply these principles in everyday life and how can parents uh, use these principles with their kids? Well, this is what I would say. And, and, you know, and you have this show and then I've seen your show with uh, Christine Roma, uh, Romans or when, when Kaylee and different people have been on you. Uh, or with you, one of the things that the the biggest thing I would say is watch what you say out loud, because words predict and perpetuate performance. So so again, whether you believe in the power of positive thinking, there's 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 it's a lot of the data is anecdotal. Nobody can prove that, but the Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, everybody can prove that negative thinking and the articulation of negative things. Uh, increases the probability that will happen. So we're not talking about living in a fantasy world, but we're talking about there's no reason for you to compete against your own language. So watch what you say. And then the second thing is behavior, not emotion, determines your success. So this idea of neutral thinking is that the past isn't predictive. So if I had a bad game or a bad show or something didn't go well for me, I own that. That's true. And we don't want athletes to run away and pretend that that didn't happen. But we also want to know that, okay, if Ross is cynical and Ross is skeptical, no matter what Ross is, he still has to recognize that if it's the end of the third quarter, the fourth quarter hasn't happened yet, so it could be different. But feelings isn't going to change the fourth quarter. Behavior is. Down 28-3 with 10 minutes to go in the third quarter in Super Bowl 51, Brady's not talking about winning. He's not talking about anything other than how about we start showing some fight? How about you drop your pad length? How about you explode with your hands? How about we play Patriot football? Whether you, whether you believe in anything or not, what he's asking them to do is change their behavior, not think about a 25-point play. I think the second thing is success leaves clues. So we would call when you do have a good game, start to understand why you had a good game. And most likely it wasn't that your wife fed your son a special type of Wheaties, but most likely there were some things he did and it wasn't a look in his eye. It might've been how he slept, how he warmed up. We would call that as we evaluate players for the draft, conscious competency. When you're good, knowing why you're good. And also when you weren't good, understanding why you weren't good. You know, and I think that that's important. That's why, and uh, you know, when Russell threw the interception in the second Super Bowl, I never worried about that defining him because he'd always been clutch going from high school, college to the NFL, and he evaluated it on a Tell the Truth Monday with Coach Carroll. Went through, okay, this we did this, this, and this. That happened. I understand why it happened. I take accountability for it. Okay, there's not going to be another game for a while. All right, I'm going to focus on having a great off season. He follows up that season. 35 touchdowns, seven picks, the best career, uh, best year of his career, because he focused on what he was going to do, not how he felt about what had happened. Does that does that make sense? I'm in. I'm all in, man. I think Ross is a little more skeptical, but I'm convinced. Well, now, I mean, what, no. It, here's my here's here's my question, yeah. Trevor. So, what year did you start working with Russell? Um, so he was one of 35 guys that came down to uh, Bradenton to train for the draft. So the first time I went head-to-head, I was the mental coach at Florida State. So uh, he put 500 yards on us, but Christian Ponder beat him. And then he beat us at NC State. But uh, I started with Russell before his NFL career started. So January 2012, uh, as we were getting ready for the Senior Bowl. Got it. Okay, So because my question was, because I met him at the Rookie Symposium yep. back in 2012, whatever the year that was. And I yeah. was unbelievably impressed by him yeah. um, in every way. So I guess part of me was wondering, like, okay, if you started to work with him like three or four years ago, how much of it is what you've done to help him and how much of it is just he is that 
unique. I mean, I think that next year, Trevor, I called a game for Fox. Yeah. And I, or I was, maybe it was in the radio, and I'm on the field. I'm walking off, and he like comes up to me, and he's like, "Hey, I just want to say hi, Ross." I was like, "Oh, hi, Russell." Like I didn't even know he knew my name. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was just like, like he's unbelievably impressive. So I guess in my mind, I'm wondering, okay, how much of that is just who Russell Wilson is? How much of that's with Trevor's help? And by the way, we could talk all, we can go on and on about this because maybe the fact that he's that impressive and believes in you that much, maybe that's enough. Or can you make the argument that even if what you're doing, Trevor, specifically doesn't help the guys that much, even if they just believe that it does, that's all that matters. Well, first of all, he was that Im- he would be that impressive if he never met me. So the so the same way you were the first time I met him, the first ten minutes, you're like, "Is this guy for real? This is incredible." So he's always been that way, and and so I believe that the psychological piece helps a, a, a an athlete or a program three to five percent. So, so I would never say I'm the game changer in a career or sports psychology is a game changer in a career, particularly in a sport like football, where 80% of your success comes from your physiology, how big you are, how fast you are, how strong you are. And then a lot of it comes from your studying and your knowledge. And then part of it is just all, all really my job is to do is to just help take that greatness that he already has, that we already came from the gifts he had from... His father, uh, you know, Harrison uh, Wilson and his brother and, and his mom and coming from a very successful family and just just challenging it to keep finding its next level. And so um, there's nothing that we would teach, Ross, like if you were if you were in, let's say, our summer program at Georgia, where we do with our lifting and our seven on seven, we do this mindset element um, 45 minutes each week. There's nothing about it that you c- could debate. All we're doing is studying why great players are great. We're looking at certain players that were can't miss guys that missed, and we're studying their behavior. You know, uh, one of the, the, the stories I heard was about a guy who was 11 years old, and he's sitting in his house, and his dad walks in and tells him to mow the lawn if he feels like it today. The dad walks out, and uh, five minutes later, the kid's 11 years old. He doesn't mow the lawn. Then the dad walks in the room and says, and by the way, make sure you feel like it today. You can make yourself feel like doing anything by just doing it. And to me, the National Football League, where only 28% of the guys are making it to a fourth year, is aptitude matters, but for the most part, it's your behavior. Do you do the things that good players do? So Fred Taylor's career changed when he started behaving like Donovan Darius and getting there at 6.30 in the morning and doing ice baths at the end. And that's all we talked about. You know, are you doing the things that good running backs do? So I'm not talking about uh, I love myself and um, I'm the best in the world and all those things. Now, is there a component for designing like a psychological ad campaign in the same way Nike created the slogan, just do it? There's value in and around that thing. Uh, But I believe if you just don't say dumb things out loud, you start to understand why other people are successful and you start to mirror their behaviors with your own, and you you focus on using the gifts you have, and don't worry, if I'm not 6'4", and I'm 5'10", then I gotta be the best 5'10 version I am, or, or Dave's son has a, a good baseball game, football game, basketball game. What are the things he's doing? Is he going, dribbling to the right side? Is he more to the left side? Is he dropping his butt to the baseline? Is he rebounding? Is he boxing out? Those are all things that are repeatable, rather than a look in the eye is less repeatable. Does that make sense? It does. But, you know, it's a lot of it to me. I can see it without whether it's dribble right, dribble left, swing this way. It's puffing your chest out. (coughs) It's being confident. It's believing you're the best player on that field. Sometimes I see it. Sometimes I don't. Every parent I know, we talk on the sidelines, they see the same thing. I think you've got another industry to conquer. And after you're done with the NFL, youth sports. You know, I mean, the, the, the cases you could treat are endless. He's Trevor Moad. The uh, book is It Takes What It Takes. It's Moad Consulting Group. I am in, brother. Send me that book. Uh, I am all in on the techniques. Good to talk to you, my friend. 
Great to talk to you guys. Have an incredible week. Thanks so much, Ross and uh, Dave, for the opportunity to jump on with you guys. Thanks, right, Trevor. Buddy, enjoy, the, enjoy the beach and tell uh, Mr. Frank we say hello, president of the basketball operations for the Clippers, I believe, who's just hanging out there. All right, man, thank you. So, Ross, are you convinced a little bit? Because, I mean, I, I probably think about the mental side far too much because I, I'm obsessed with it as far as youth sports. I can see when a kid's going to have a bad at bat. I can see when they're going to have a good at bat. It is so much how they carry themselves that particular day or the confidence that they have or don't have in any given situation. You know what's interesting, Dave? Uh, I'm I'm going up to uh, to West Point today for a college yeah. football game on Saturday to, for CBS Sports Network, and my mom is coming up with me. And I got to tell you, I am a believer, Dave, that I'm a very confident person. And to your point, you hearing are. you talk about your son, I think it's almost entirely my mom. And right or wrong, she really gave me a lot of confidence growing up. My sister and I laugh about it. My wife laughs about it at times. Uh, but I think that there's something to what you said. I mean, like... My sister jokes that when she got to kindergarten, she walked in and couldn't believe all the other kids didn't come over and say, Bryn, Bryn, like you're here. (laughs) She's like, I'm here, Bryn Tucker, I'm here. (laughs) Like My mom made us extremely confident. And I think there's no question that it it helped for sports. No doubt, it helped for everything in life, public speaking, um, being on the radio, yeah. sports, like, um, and maybe that's the answer. Maybe just from birth, tell your kids that they're the greatest thing ever. Uh, I don't know, but I, I, I thank her for it all the time. And I try to give my daughters that same level of confidence. So um, I, I like that guy because I like the incremental growth stuff that he was talking about. As you all know, hiring can be a challenge, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. Cafe El Toro COO Dylan Miskowitz experienced how challenging hiring can be after unsuccessfully searching for a director of coffee for his organic coffee company. But then he switched to ZipRecruiter and saw an immediate difference. And you can too by signing up for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. And its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates faster. In fact, after posting his job to ZipRecruiter, Dylan said he was amazed by how quickly great candidates were applying and found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois.
Hey guys, it's Ross Tucker from Home and Home. Thanks for listening to our podcast. This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Try ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Encourage you to check him out on Twitter at Elliot Shore Parks. Elliot, appreciate the time. Nice hoodie. I'm usually used to seeing you in a suit and tie. I like the hoodie. Uh, very you, comfortable. You. That thank that you. fits our uh, that definitely fits our theme here on Home and Home. Since all three of us, well, actually Matt's in the studio, but we're in our homes. It's Ross Tucker, Matt Spiegel. So I, I, I guess I'll start with this, Elliot. Was that the worst game Carson's played? Yeah. I mean, look, he he had a rough game last year in New Orleans when they lost by 41 points, I think. But in just in terms of accuracy, decision-making, and the fact that that game was there to be won, like as poorly as Carson played, the defense kept him in it. And at the end of the game, he had a chance to lead them down the field for a potential tie or even a win late. I mean, he had a, a really bad interception in the fourth quarter that you know helped to seal that game for the Seahawks. And he had a play that I think right now really shows where he's at. It was a key fourth down late in the game. He drops back. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is wide open. Carson sees him, pulls it back, then decides to throw it and delivers an inaccurate pass. So he's just a complete mess right now. It's hard to reconcile this particular Carson Wentz with the guy who had 33 touchdowns and seven interceptions before the injury in, in 2017. He looked really rattled out there. That the the play yeah. you mentioned, the fumble on the on the handoff exchange as one of the four turnovers, that looked like a guy in terror. He's got no right tackle, or he's got a backup right tackle right now. He's got he's down three wide receivers in terms of injury and 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 a running back too. How much uh, was he rattled? How much do you put on his emotions or lack of poise yesterday, Elliot? Look, a lot's happened to Carson in his career, right? And it's understandable why there, he would feel pressure each week. I mean, there's still a statue of Nick Foles outside of the stadium. So there is pressure on him. But I think sometimes to say that he's, like, rattled or feels pressured, like, moves the goalpost kind of from what his real issues are is just he's not an accurate passer. Like, that is the core of Carson's problems. He cannot throw an accurate ball. And a pass in a league with 32 teams – He's 34th in the league in on-target throws. So there's some backups that have come in this year and been better in terms of their accuracy. I think his decision-making at times is an issue. And I think one thing you hear Doug Peterson say a lot is Carson's pressing out there. He's trying to do too much. And you see that at times with him pulling it down, not taking checkdowns and those type of things. But the issue is, is not mental in terms of pressure. The issue with Carson right now is physical skill. Like he is not an accurate passer. And it all starts with that. Okay, so to follow up, because I watch Mitch Trubisky, and he lacks the poise. I see his supercomputer mm -hmm. not doing its job. That's not what you see with Carson. You don't see a guy who's trying to process too much. You see a guy who physically is not getting it done. Uh, I think overall, I don't see that with Carson. He did it yesterday against the Seahawks and somewhat against the Patriots two weeks ago. But on a larger scale, no. I don't think that's going to be an issue with Carson. Carson knows football. He's really good before the snap. His issue is more just, you know, he, he can sometimes be hesitant in the pocket to throw the ball. And I, I don't think that's – I don't think it's because he doesn't know what he's looking at. I think it's a desire to make bigger plays. But I, I don't think it's a Trubisky level yet uh, with Carson. <laughs> You know, Elliot, I am really glad that you mentioned that fourth down throw to J.J. Ortega-Whiteside because that was horrendous. He yeah. was open and went double clutch like he does sometimes and then not just off his back foot, but like leaning back off his back foot, he tried to just snap it in there and was inaccurate. I thought that throw was a microcosm of his issues. And part of me thought early in the game, Elliot, when he was missing like the running backs and he was way off, part of me thought, man, the wind must be a big factor. Yeah. But Russell Wilson was making some incredible throws right around the same time. Now, Russell Wilson missed a wide open dude later in the, in the first half for a touchdown in the end zone. Hollister, where he floated the ball too long while he was running. 
But Russell Wilson had a bunch of really good throws down the sideline, deep posts, etc. Whereas Wentz, you know, he was he was missing the layups. He he misses yeah. some of the easy throws that it's just really those are so hard to come back from if you don't make the layups. And I, I think that's probably his biggest issue right now. Yeah, look, last week I went back and I watched every throw Carson's made this year, and, and I tallied them. And I came up with right around 50 throws this season that are similar to the Miles Sanders one you suggest, you just mentioned, where for those that missed the game yesterday, Miles Sanders wide open in the flat, could, could not be more wide open. Carson sails at four or five yards over his head. There's been four or five throws each game this season where that's happened. And sometimes they don't get noticed as much because people like to focus on the drops um, and those type of things and the injuries. But the fact is, like, the numbers don't lie. Carson's not an accurate quarterback, and that's it, it showed yesterday. Now, yesterday was probably his worst game, as we already talked about, so there were a lot more examples. But this has been an issue for Carson throughout the season. When you ask, why are the Eagles 5-6? and six? Like, why have they not met these Super Bowl expectations? The number one reason is Carson. Like, the, the injuries are a factor, but the number one reason is the quarterback is not playing up to his level and when you draft a guy number two overall and you pay him all that money, he should be expected to carry you. And his, Carson's not only not carrying this team right now, he's actively hurting their chances of winning. Well, and that's kind of what I don't understand, Elliot. Talking with Elliot Shore Parks from 94.1 WIP in Philadelphia. What I don't understand is he's getting worse this season. Like mm -hmm. earlier in the year, I actually thought he was playing pretty darn well. And especially without Deshaun Jackson, I thought he was playing well. And I know, I'm, look, they didn't have any of their three starting receivers yesterday. The right side of the offensive line is a mess. I get all those things. But he still needs to not throw the ball behind Zach Ertz on a key third down or put the ball on the running back so they at least have a chance. I guess I don't understand why he's regressing during this season. You'd think coming off the injury – he would actually be getting better during this season. But he's pretty clearly getting worse, right? Well, so I, I personally don't think he was playing as well as you do early on in the year. Like, there were a lot of examples of him making really good plays. But, I mean, against the Falcons, everyone says, you know, they lost that game because of Nelson Aguilar. He had a drop in that game. Carson was atrocious for the first half. And when you talk about Carson's career— it's an interesting one to dissect because so much has happened. Nick Foles comes in, leads, leads Carson's team to the Super Bowl. He tears his ACL, breaks his back. All these things happen to him. But now when you look at him, 51 games into his career, I think that what we expect from Carson is maybe not what he is. He was great in 2017. So when you look at him these past two years, you say, okay, he hasn't been that guy. But maybe that was just an outlier. And maybe that was just a result of him playing great against really bad teams a lot of weeks in a row. Because since the start of 2018, the Eagles are 10-12 and 12 with Carson at quarterback. He's not played well. This isn't like a three- or four-week thing with Carson. This is a 22-game thing with Carson. And he's suffered injuries. So maybe the injuries have just taken it out of him. We'll see. But he has to make adjustments. And I will say on a larger scale, too— the Eagles hold some responsibility in this. They need to help him out more. They need to not make it so every year he's playing with different receivers. They need to make it so that, honestly, the coaching on this team, and not Doug Peterson, but the quarterback coach, the offensive coordinator, I don't think they're doing anything right now to help Carson. So the Eagles are alive. It's possible they get in the playoffs. Jason Garrett with the Cowboys is certainly doing his best to make sure that happens. So maybe Carson gets playoff experience. But – at the end of this year, the Eagles need to take a large look picture at this franchise and decide how are we going to help Carson because there is no question of whether Carson's a guy. Carson is this guy whether he's good or not. They're committed to him for two or three years because of the massive money they gave him. So they have to figure out how to make Carson win despite his flaws. Elliot, let's listen to Doug Peterson this morning uh, talking about the pressure that's on Carson Wentz. We know that he's struggling. He's on the record saying he is. But we're not totally clear on why. Could you give us a little uh, uh, idea on that? You know, it, I think a little bit after the after the game, I alluded to this a little bit in the press conference. Um, sometimes when when you struggle as an offense and and uh, things aren't going your way, things aren't clicking. Sometimes as players, you begin to kind of press a little bit. You begin to try to go searching for plays and trying to create on your own and. Listen, Carson is—he's—he's he's such a great 
player to he he can he can create on his own. He, we've seen him do that, and we understand he can do that. But sometimes when teams are struggling, and when you struggle as an offense, you don't have to go searching for a lot of plays. Just just run the offense and just execute the the plays that are that are called. And sometimes sometimes you get caught up in, in trying to do too much. And I think I think when you put that pressure on yourself uh, to perform. Um, that that can that can manifest itself, and and um, we just got to get him, you know, back to back to being Carson Wentz, and and just just understanding and you know uh, what we're trying to get done uh, each and every play. Uh, continue to coach, continue to uh, you know work every week, but um, that's that's what we got to do. So that's Doug Peterson on WIP uh, Radio.com affiliate from from this morning. We keep trying to chase down, at least I do, these kind of abstract factors as to why he's gotten bad. And I understand what you're saying, Elliot, that maybe this is just him. But that's mm-hmm. the coach. That's the coach saying it's he's thinking too much. He's trying to do too much. Whereas we watched a guy like Nick Foles just kind of calmly take whatever was there in the offense. Does that part of it make sense, the way Doug talked about it? I think there's some truth to that. I, I like I said, I, I do think he's trying to make bigger plays when they're not there. I think there there is absolutely some truth to that. But I'll also say the Eagles organization are pet are petrified of criticizing Carson Wentz. Each each week when he struggles or he has a bad play, and Doug's asked about it, Mike Groh is asked about it, they'll say, Yeah, Carson wasn't great that play, but you know what? The offensive line has to block. The receivers have to catch. We can do a better job coaching. Like they have not been willing to point the finger right at Carson, and I think that's what you hear in that answer. This whole Carson went to great is a great player and he can create on his own. Well, where has that been for the last year and a half? I mean, there's maybe one play a game where he makes a spectacular play, but that doesn't excuse the fact that for you know the other 50 plays in that game, this offense has been terrible. I mean, if it wasn't for Jim Schwartz and the defense, the Eagles would be a train wreck for the last year. This offense has been bad, and part of that absolutely falls on Carson. Now, you mentioned Nick Foles. One thing the Eagles talked about prior to this year was Carson was getting rid of the ball quickly. He, he knows the offense now. He can get rid of the ball quickly. He can make the quick decision. And part of that is because when Foles came in last year, this isn't even the Super Bowl year. When he came in last year, he had the quickest release time in the NFL from when he came in to when the Eagles lost to the Saints. And the offense clicked at a much higher level. Carson is not only getting not only not getting rid of the ball quickly, he has his lowest or slowest time to throw average of his career this year. So he's been a disaster in that regard. You know, Elliot, let's let's kind of put a button on the Carson Wentz part of it, and then I got one more question for you. But long term, on a scale of one to ten, what would you say your level of concern is with Carson Wentz as the franchise quarterback for the Eagles? Ten being very concerned, yeah. one being not concerned at all. I would say I'm somewhere between a seven and an eight. Just because when you have a fundamental flaw in your game of being an inaccurate passer, I have a hard time believing that after a full college career of struggling with it, four years in the NFL of struggling with it, that that's going to change. Carson can make special plays. I believe in Carson Wentz, the person. He's a hard worker. Uh, I believe he knows the game of football. But if you can't throw an accurate pass, you can't succeed long-term in this league. You just can't. So until I see that change, my level of concern with Carson is pretty high. You know, I don't even blame him. I blame the person that hired him. That's the problem. It's the hiring process. It's not easy. They, they should have done what my guy Dylan Miskowitz did. Cafe El Toro COO Dylan Miskowitz experienced how challenging hiring can be after unsuccessfully searching for a director of coffee for his organic coffee company. But then he switched to ZipRecruiter and saw an immediate difference. And you can too by signing up for free at ZipRecruiter.com enter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. And its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates faster. In fact, after posting his job to ZipRecruiter, Dylan said he was amazed by how quickly great candidates were applying and found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, 
ziprecruiter.com slash enter. That's ziprecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Cody Decker here from Swings and Misses, the Radio.com Sports Original, here to talk to you about 4hims.com. 66% of men lose their hair by age 35. I'm 32 years old, and I've been taking hymns for about three and a half months, and I'm getting incredible results. My hairline's coming back thicker and fuller than it has in years. Even Frosty is growing his hair back this winter. 4hims.com. There are no snake oil pills or gas station over-the-counter supplements or prescription solutions backed by science. No more awkward in-person doctor visits or long pharmacy lines. 4hims connects you with real doctors online, which could save you hours. It's completely confidential and Discreet. You answer a few quick questions, the doctor will review and they'll determine whether or not Hims is right for you. This holiday season, let it grow, let it grow, let it grow with Hims. Try Hims today by starting out with a free online visit. Go to forhims.com slash swings. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash swing. Prescription products are subject to doctor's approval and require online consultation with a physician who will determine if the prescription is appropriate. See website for full details and safety information. This could cost you hundreds. You went to a doctor or pharmacy in person. Remember, forhims dot com slash swings hey guys it's ross tucker from home and home thanks for listening to our podcast this episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Try ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, so we're talking with Pete Thamel from Yahoo. Check him out on Twitter, at Pete Thamel. He's as good as it gets. I think he's the best college football writer and newsbreaker out there. Uh, Let me just walk through this for a second, okay? Ohio State and Clemson, assuming they hold serve, they're in. We all realize that. Then we get to LSU. I mean, even if they lose, Pete, to Georgia, I kind of feel like LSU would still be ahead of Alabama So do you think it's fair to say that as long as LSU doesn't stumble this week and they get to the SEC championship game, they're in. And then if Georgia beats them, Georgia's in. I mean, if that scenario plays out like that, it's going to be Georgia, LSU, Ohio State, and Clemson, right? Yes, I I think that's the cleanest scenario, Ross. I think you're 100% right. There's no way. I mean, LSU would be the best one-loss team in the country if they lose to Georgia. They'd have a top-four loss, and then they have all those top-15 wins from from earlier in the season. And people could discount the win at Texas because Texas has fallen on their face. They still went to Austin, Texas, and scored 45 points on a reasonably good Texas team. It's a lot better than beating Duke. Like, let's put it that way. So, but I really think playing Florida in their crossover, uh, LSU's earned it. They've pound for pound earned it. They went into Tuscaloosa and won. That's the single best win in college football all year. So I really don't think there's going to be a whole lot of uh, verbiage. We, we won't have to watch that like painful two hour ESPN show, you know, if uh, if, if that happens, because the, the field will be set. Um, all right. So and then, then I think like everybody. The, oh, sorry, Pete, go ahead. The other race, Ross, right now that I think is really interesting is the race for number one, but it's really between LSU and Ohio State right now. It's style points to avoid Clemson because whoever's sitting there at four is not going to be as good as Clemson, even if it's even if it's LSU. LSU might not even fall to four. They may only fall to three if they uh, if they if they do. I guess that would be hard because you'd have to put Georgia up there ahead of them. But um, and they wouldn't want to rematch the two SEC teams somewhere. But. I really think that that is in the back of the minds of a lot of people on the LSU staff and the Ohio State staff is, hey, we don't want to play Clemson that first weekend. We'll take them in the title game. No need to uh, no need to see if they actually are better than last year, which we really won't know because they haven't played the schedule. So I, I really think that is uh, that is a huge factor looming. Pete, I want to ask you about Clemson because I don't want to call them Florida State from a couple of years ago. You remember uh, in the – I believe it was the college football playoff when they got smoked by Oregon and then Jameis had the fumble and we all memed it uh, it to death. 
Do we know how good Clemson is? Because looking at their resume, they haven't really beat a team that I would consider to be very good, but they are the defending national champions. How good do you think Clemson is? You know, character, I think they're excellent, to, to be honest with you. I, I, it's hard to doubt that much talent. And they have the, they have the, the best NFL prospect in the country right now, right, in, in Trevor Lawrence. So you start right there. And then they have, uh, they have a, I believe, 22-game winning streak as a program. So they play bad teams, but it's hard to win 22 games in a row. They have a winning culture. They've proven they can win the playoff. They've proven they can win big, high-stakes games. They have T. Higgins, who's a you know top five uh, receiver picked in the upcoming NFL draft. And they've reloaded on that defensive line to where they're not where they were last year with the three first-round picks but they're still pretty darn good. They have a secondary that's as good. So at a certain point, you have to stop looking at the actual games and just examine the talent. And the talent is there. And also the culture and tradition of winning, the players don't know how to lose. And that helps you when you when you play in these big postseason games. It's going to be hard to pick against Clemson, even though I totally agree they haven't played anyone. Pete, earlier I asked you a toss-up question about Utah and Oklahoma. Let's ask a follow-up question, a toss-up question. Who do you think is the better NFL prospect, Joe, Joe Burrow or Trevor Lawrence? Because I feel like we were all quick to anoint Trevor Lawrence last year when he played well against Alabama. He's had a little bit of a sophomore slump. Are you still as high on him as an NFL prospect? Absolutely. I think Trevor Lawrence is a rare one. Um, he certainly hasn't. He was expected to walk on water for the entire season. And he got a little bit wet, but he still had a really, a really nice year. And I feel like the NFL people I talk to still mention him in like the rarest terms with like the big arm. Now he's had some big mental mistakes. He's thrown some bad interceptions. Joe Burrow has been a ball of fire. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a quarterback from a redshirt junior to redshirt senior year. So we're talking about an older guy, right? Like this isn't a jump because gained 15 pounds or grew or whatever. He's completing almost 20% more of his passes. He was like a perfectly capable SEC player last year, and he has been the best player in college football this year, at least in terms of offense. I think it's a two-horse race between him and Chase Young for the Heisman Trophy. But I have not seen a player make a leap like Joe Burrow has between his junior and senior year and all my years covering college football. Pete, I got to ask you, I know you've spent uh, a lot of time around Justin Herbert. Uh, you know, I know you probably talked to him about his decision to stay in school after last season, he's come back. I think he's had a good year. He had a horrendous game Thank Saturday you. night. Horrendous. Can you just tell us a little bit more about why he stayed in school? Because I'm starting to wonder if he's the next in the line of the Matt Leinerts and Matt Barkleys that maybe even hurt his draft stock by staying in school. I don't want to overreact to one game, Ross, because he has had a very good season. I don't have the statistics in front of me off the top of my head, but his touchdown interception is eye-poppingly good. Uh, I think there's a, there's a few things with Justin Herbert. We'll, we'll start to answer your question. And he came back in, in part because his brother was going to play. His brother's a, a freshman tight end uh, for the Ducks. He also had a serious academic bend in what he had done there. And this was going to be, he was a biology major. He, if he was not the starting quarterback who would go to the NFL, he was going to become a doctor. So he has above a 4.0 grade point average. I don't even think you could do that at Syracuse. And I certainly didn't threaten it in school. I promise you that. Uh, and he thought this year would be good for his football development in order to finish his classes, graduate in the spring, and then come back for the quarters in the fall and the winter and not have foot, not have academics, which were a huge time commitment for him, to slow him down at all, and he could focus fully on football. Uh, I do think the system he's playing in uh, has not maximized his skill set to, to some extent. And I talking to NFL people, they don't they they love his raw physical talent in his arm. He made two throws in the prior week, Ross, that you would fall off your chair. They were wow throws to the to the Maximus. And so um, I don't know. I I my hunch is that he will still be the number one pick in the NFL draft because the raw and physical talent is there. But I, I will not argue with you. He was awful the other night. He was missing screen passes. He was inconsistent. He was throwing the ball high. He was throwing it too hard. He missed open guys. Like, that That loss in a lot of ways 
starts with him because he was, you know, he, he was just simply not accurate. And uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a, a, an interesting finish. He, he does need to finish strong that the NFL loves the hot quarterback, a couple games like Saturday in a row could cool him a bit. Hey Pete, really appreciate you coming on today. I've got a toss up question for you. Who's more likely to make the playoff Utah or Oklahoma? So I'm on team Utes right now. I just think if you watched Alabama, if you've watched Utah, and if you've watched Oklahoma, Utah is the most consistent team. They're better on both sides of the ball. Uh, they have really excellent quarterback play with Tyler Hundley. Zach Moss is one of the five best tailbacks in college football. And they have a defensive line. If you're going to be successful in the playoff, you're probably going to end up playing an SEC team. You need a defensive line that the NFL drools over. And Utah has a top five defensive line in the sport. Um, that's a position they've always recruited well. They usually have uh, a pipeline to some Polynesian kids. Morgan Scali, their defensive coordinator, has the country's third best unit uh, in terms of scoring defense. And I really think that pound for pound, Utah is the best. I know you asked me a toss-up, Carrington. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spread it out to three, and I, I'm gonna put Utah in at the, at the four right now with what we've seen of them. Pete, you bring up Alabama. What's the argument for Alabama making the playoff that's resume-based and not historically based? Because this year they don't appear to have the non-con wins. They don't have Tua, and they're not going to win the SEC West. I feel like if Alabama is included in the playoff, it's based on what they've accomplished in the past and not what they've done this season. Well, I think that's a, I think that's a very fair argument. Uh, I'll be at Alabama-Auburn on Saturday, and it's literally going to be like not only covering a game, but it's almost going to be covering like, like doing like a movie review because our prism of the Alabama that we need to judge for the playoff is going to play out for 60 minutes in that Auburn game. And so it's going to be style points. It's going to be projecting forward against better teams. It's going to be everything. I really think they will be – if Alabama makes a playoff this year, I think they'll end up expanding the playoff within 18 months. Because I think there will be such outrage because, as you mentioned, Carrington, their, their resume is completely empty. And if they're making it, they're making it based on brand. And that's going to cause discomfort around college football. Remember, we only got to the playoff because Alabama ended up playing LSU in the Bowl Championship Series title game back in, I think it was 11. And that offseason, magically, everyone revolted and we had the playoff now. Uh, and I think going forward, we will end up at eight. It's a matter of when. What's the trigger? This could be the trigger. We know hiring's not easy. We know it's a challenge. That's why you got to do what my guy Dylan did. Cafe El Toro COO Dylan Miskowitz experienced how challenging hiring can be after unsuccessfully searching for a director of coffee for his organic coffee company. But then he switched to ZipRecruiter and saw an immediate difference. And you can, too, by signing up for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. And its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates faster. In fact, after posting his job to ZipRecruiter, Dylan said he was amazed by how quickly great candidates were applying and found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ziprecruiter.com enter. That's ziprecruiter.com E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter the smartest way to hire. Hi, everyone. This is Dave Briggs. Thanks for listening to the Home and Home Podcast. Remember, you can watch or listen live every day from 8 to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time exclusively on the Radio.com app or on the web at Radio.com slash home. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.